The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Last time we met, I, I stated, as with the mission of the church, that the message of the church is also very confused today. But the scriptures are very clear on the message of the Lord's church. And our message is to be the Lord's message and not our own. We're not to focus on, we're not to focus on social issues. I don't, I don't think a pulpit should ever preach social issues. Uh, amen? I'm sorry, that's not the message of the church. That's not the message of the pulpit to handle, to deal with social issues. Uh, we're here for a purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim the Lord's word. And what Trump says isn't the Lord's word. And what Trump doesn't say, uh, I, wish, I just wish someone would take his, his cell phone away. That's what I wish. It's so, to me, it's so, it's so improper for the President of the United States to tweet. I just, I just can't... <laughs> I can't get over that, and, and he inserts his foot in his mouth so many times. Uh, but anyway, we'll get off of that, because we're not here to preach social issues, amen? We're here to teach the word of the Lord, and that's what we're going to do. Last time, last time I said first that we, were to, we must preach salvation to a lost world. That's the message of the church, salvation. Paul stated in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And we are, to, we are to preach salvation to a lost world. That is the primary message of the church. Nothing takes precedence in the church over the preaching of the gospel. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, Paul writes, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Who in this room uh, among us that are saved would say, I got saved without hearing the word of God? Any, anyone? No. It's impossible to be saved without hearing the word of God, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing from the word of God. Romans ten fourteen. How shall they call? On him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? So the church, the, the message of the church is, is first and foremost the preaching of the gospel. Uh, so first the church must preach salvation to a lost world. But then, let's continue on today. Second, we must preach separation from a corrupt world. Now we should be at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'd like for you to look with me beginning at verse number 14. We read here, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Today, churches preach messages of, of tolerance and, and acceptance. But yet we read in verse 17, Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, I'm not preaching intolerance today, and I'm not preaching rejection today. I'm teaching separation today. The Lord said we are to be separate from this world. We are not to be in, in, in union with this world. We're not to be in agreement with this world. Now that doesn't mean, don't walk out of here and say, well, Brother Dalton says I'm better than everybody else. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean we're better than anyone. It simply means that the Lord has called us to come out from this world and be a separate people. Be different. Not in agreement with worldly philosophies. Not in, not in fellowship and in, 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 in conjunction with worldly principles. But living by biblical, godly principles. You know, it's so important that young people be taught that. Parents, teach your children that they are to follow the Lord and not the world. Because the world is attractive, is it not? And it's alluring. And we better be careful because... Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the what? Pleasures of sin. Don't deceive yourself in saying sin isn't fun and sin doesn't bring pleasure because it does. That's why it's so effective at blocking God's people. And we need to understand that. Parents need to make Help your children see the pleasure in serving God and to see that that pleasure is greater than the pleasure that sin can bring us in this world. So we're to be separate. The world, though, teaches uh, tolerance and acceptance. They also teach diversity and unity. Those are things we hear a lot about, diversity and unity. But in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we read, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Now, I work with unbelievers. We all do. And they're, they're, they're nice people. You know, all unbelievers aren't running around like Satan in clothing. You know that? They're, a lot of them are very hardworking people, very nice people, very good people, as good by man's standards. But we are not to be yoked together with unbelievers. Now that doesn't mean we don't cooperate with them in the workplace. That we don't, we don't treat them nicely as we encounter them in this world. We don't run them off the highway because we think we're better than them. Right? Those of you who commute like I do every day understand what I'm talking about. But we're, we're also not to be yoked together with them. 
We're not to be in lockstep with them. We're not, we're not to be bound together with them. We're to be a separate people. Now, to be separate means to disunite, to divide, to sever, to part. In almost any manner, either things naturally or casually joined. So to be separate simply means we're, we're, we're apart. We're not, we're not uh, a part of, of, of what's taking place. Our message to the world is that of salvation. But our message to the church itself, our in, inward message, is that of separation. We must proclaim the need within our churches for separation. It is the will of God that we be separate. It is the will of God that we keep the body of Christ, the church, free from corruption. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Listen, I hope you understand and realize as, as a member of this church, you have a job to make sure that we keep this church pure. That we keep it free from corruption, free from the corruption of the world. That's why we don't, we don't bring in all the, great, the newest fads. You know, Pastor mentioned a little while ago, our church is getting older, and, and it is. And a big part of that is because a lot of young people today don't want the old-time religion. They want the drums on the platform and, and, and the bass guitars. And, and, and they want, they want uh, a, a, an uplifting and vibrant and exciting song service. They don't, they don't want the old gospel hymns. And they certainly don't want to sit down and listen to old-time preaching. They don't want to hear that man is depraved. They don't want to hear that you and I, but by the grace of God, are capable of any wretched thing. And we, they don't want to hear <coughs> that we constantly imagine and devise wicked things in our hearts and minds. They don't want to hear that. So they search out churches that have messages of, of joy and happiness and tolerance and diversity and unity and all these things. But we, are, we have a task to keep the church of Jesus Christ free from the corruption of this world. That's why we must teach and preach separation from this corrupt world. We must resist the temptation to unite with the world in any area. To join ourselves to the world would be to place ourselves at enmity with God. Did you ever consider that? When, when we, when I join the world, then I become an enemy of God. I may not realize that I'm doing that, but I, but I do. I, I place myself in the camp and in fellowship with those that do not care about or love the Lord. James, in chapter 4 of his book, in verse 4, writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. 
Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now again, I understand that we have to live in this world. Jesus even prayed to the Father and he prayed that, that, that he would not remove us from the world but that he would keep us separate while in the world. And that's what we are to do. We are in this world for a purpose and a reason, and that is to glorify the Father, be a witness for Jesus Christ. But as we tarry on this earth, as our time on this earth carries us along the path of life, we are to remain separate in our hearts and minds from the world and separate unto God the Father. James implied here that we are as unfaithful spouses when we corrupt the purity of God's church with the filth of the world. Think about that for a moment. If my wife went home with a different man, but she said, I love you, should I believe her? No. So if you and I, if we enjoin ourselves to this corrupt world, but yet we tell God, I love you. Should he believe us? No. He shouldn't. Because if we love him, then we will obey him. If we love him, we will separate from this world. And we will be faithful to our Father. God's word tells us that there is nothing but corruption in this world. In 1 John, let's turn there. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Everybody turn there. 1 John chapter 2. And look at verse number 15 with me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. We read here, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, The love of the Father is not in him. Now let me stop here for a moment. Did you see that? You know, as I I grow older, I love this world less and less. Now there are some things I I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave my wife. I love my wife. I wouldn't want to leave this earth because I love my wife. And and, and I would be saddened to be away from her. And if the Lord took me, I would, I would, be, I would be saddened that, that, that she would have to go on without me. Now, she might not be saddened at that. I don't know. You'd have to ask her. But I would be saddened at that. I love my children. And you know, my children aren't perfect. Not by a long shot. And they make mistakes. But you know, they're, they're still my children. And I love them. And I, I'd hate to... I'd hate to see them, if, if, if the Lord took me, I'd hate to see them go through that and, 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 and the weeping and, and, and the sorrow. Oh, I love my grandkids. Oh, I love my grandsons. My, my, daughters, and my daughters and my son often say, Dad, why didn't you treat us like you treat them? I said, because they're your problem, not mine. That's why. Unconditional love. I would be sad to, it's, it's, sad, it's sad for me to think that the Lord would take me home and my little grandsons would not see me anymore. 
That's, that, brings me, that brings me sadness. And, but you know what? When I, think about, when I think about standing in the presence of Christ, seeing his beautiful face, oh, that brings me great joy. I, I just, the older I get, I just, I just can't love this world. Let's continue on, verse 16. For all that is in the world. What's in the world, he tells us. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. God tells us there's nothing good in this world, nothing but corruption. So we, as as God's children, ought not to be named among the children of God. We should not love this world. We should not enjoin ourselves to this corrupt world. Live in it, yes. Work in it, we must. But not join in and, and, and lock arms and fall in love with the things of this world. We're to consider the holiness of our God. You ever stop to think about what does God think about some of the things we do? Hmm? God's holiness is, is beyond our human understanding. We're to consider the holiness of our God and behave as children of the one true, holy, righteous God. I've said it before. My father, I think, let me get this, let me get this straight. My father is 91, just turned 91. I'm a certain number of years old. And, but even at my age, I still, to this day, would not do things that I know my father would not approve of. I, I just wouldn't do them. I, I, and and I, I'll, just, I'll just say it. When he's in his grave, I still wouldn't do things that I know he wouldn't approve of. Why? Because I need to live my life worthy of my father. Worthy of the name Abshar, my dad always told me, son, I'm not a wealthy man. I can't leave you anything in this life. When I go, the only thing I can give you is a good name. What you do with that name is up to you. And I refuse to besmirch the name of my father. As he did his father. And as his father did his father. And I refuse as a believer to shame the name of my heavenly father. That's a choice we have to make. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. We're We're to conduct ourselves as children of God. See, the problem is, in our nation today, people put on a facade. They, they come to church on Sunday and put on their holy clothes, so to speak. There is no holy clothes, please understand that. But they put on their holy coat and their holy pants, and they put on a holy smile, and they come to their holy church, and they sing their holy hymns, and they say amen to the holy preaching, 
and they shake holy hands as they walk out the holy door and go home and take it all off and live like the world for six days in the week. But that's not the way that we're to be. We need to understand that while we love this building, I I love this building, I don't know if you do, but I enjoy this building. But this building does not house the Father. He doesn't stand at, at the glass doors on Monday, pressed out, looking out, saying, I wonder what they're doing out there. I wonder what my kids are doing. No, 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 no. God is with us always, at all times. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we say, everything we hear, the Father is aware of every bit of it. He is with us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's present at all times. And we are to conduct ourselves worthy of him in all times. So, uh, we must preach salvation to a lost world. Secondly, we must proclaim separation from a corrupt world. But then thirdly, we must preach sanctification for God's use. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, when we talk about sanctification, there are two aspects we need to think about. First, there is the sanctification that comes from God the Father. And definition number one of sanctification is this, to cleanse, to purify, to make holy. To cleanse, to purify, to make holy. Now, I think we all understand here this morning that we cannot accomplish these tasks ourselves. There is nothing that I can do in a spiritual sense to make myself clean in the sight of God. Nothing. Because the Bible says all my works are as filthy rags unto God. There is no work that I can do. There's no penance. There's no atonement I can do that will make me clean in the sight of God. Nothing. The second definition was to purify. Again, nothing I can do to purify my, my filthy soul. Nothing that I can do to erase all the sin that I've committed in my life. The third part of that definition was to make holy. I can't, there's nothing I can do to make myself holy in the sight of God. These are things that God must do. And these are things that God does at the moment of our salvation. God awakens, the Holy Spirit awakens our dead souls. And and we are quickened and made alive and enlightened by the Spirit of God. We then repent. And it's it's an immediate thing. There's not a delay in this. We instantly repent and believe and are born again. And at that very instant, at that very moment, (laughs) we are sanctified by God the Father. We are cleansed. We are purified. We are made holy in his sight at that very instant of our salvation. That is a work that only God can do. 
We understand and accept that only God can sanctify us in this manner. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen. In verse 11 he says, And such were some of you. That list I just read, I don't care who you are today. You might not want to believe it about yourself. I don't care who you are. That list I read, you were one of those. You were either a, a fornicator or an idolater or an adulterer or effeminate or abuser of themselves and mankind. You were a thief. You were covetous. You were drunkards. You were revilers. You were extortioners. Every one of us, no matter who we are and what we want to think of ourselves, fit that list. Every one of us. And he said, such were some of you. But, that's a big but there. But ye are washed. Praise the Lord. Ye are sanctified. Ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. So you and I, we were all those things. And remember, the Bible states if you're guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty of what? The whole. You might say, well, I never extorted anything. I never, I never reviled. I was never a murderer. I, I was never an adulterer. Uh, did you ever lie? And, 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 and please understand, there isn't any of in this room that's never lied. If you say you never lie, you're lying, and so you lie. And if you lie, you're guilty of you're just as guilty as a murderer. You're just as guilty as an adulterer. You're just as guilty as an extortioner. You see, God doesn't have levels of sin. To God, sin is sin. And we were all sinners. Every one of us. So we all in times past. We're, we're condemned and lost, but God has washed us. He has sanctified us. He has purified us by his work. So we understand that from definition number one of, uh, of the word sanctify, we can't fulfill that ourselves. There's nothing we can do to, to make that happen. That, that must come from the Father. But there is a second definition uh, of sanctify, sanctify, and that is this, to cleanse from corruption, uh, to purify from sin, to make holy by detaching the affections from the world in its defilements and exalting them to, to a supreme love of God. Now, this definition expounds upon the first by offering a procedure whereby we can accomplish these tasks on a lesser scale. We cannot accomplish this with regards to our immortal souls, but we can accomplish this work of sanctification with regards to our heart. To the center of human consciousness. Peter admonished us to sanctify our hearts. We read it earlier. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. 
So while we know that we cannot cleanse our, our soul from sin, while we know that we cannot purify our soul, while we know that we cannot make our soul holy, we can sanctify our heart. The heart is the center of human consciousness. Now, let me state here, if it were not for God, we couldn't sanctify our hearts. Because our heart was given to the flesh. And in the flesh, we are bound to sin. We're captive. Before we're saved, the flesh enslaves us and forces us to do what it wants to do. We don't have a choice. Maybe you remember before you were saved how hard you tried not to sin, but it just seemed like it was no, it was just a vain effort. Any of you understand what I'm talking about with this? There were times when I didn't want to do the things I was doing, but I just, I couldn't help but do them. And that's because I was a slave to my flesh, to my heart. But once I'm saved, God, what does he do? Behold. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. What is that new creature? Anyone know? It's the nature of who? The nature of Christ. The old man still dwells. The old nature is still there, but there's a new nature given to me. And that new nature is the nature of Christ. And the nature of Christ does not sin. And so God has mortified the flesh. What does that mean? Well, to mortify means to limit the power of, to control. So God has has set a limit on the flesh's authority and control over me. The flesh no longer, I'm I'm no longer a slave to to the flesh. The flesh can no longer control me unless I give in to it, unless I yield to it. So what's happened? Well, God has empowered me. He has has given me the power to say no. And he's given me the authority over my own flesh. So that in the spirit of Christ, in the nature of Christ, I can resist temptation, I can resist sin, and and I'm empowered to live my life in obedience to the Father. So, while we can't accomplish definition number one, we can accomplish definition number two, because definition number two states that we can accomplish this by detaching our affections. We detach them from the world and attach them to God. This would clearly imply that we are to make God the center of all that we are and all that we do. You know, why Christians, you know why Christians don't come to church on Sunday? Because they decide whether or not to come. Huh? Wake up on Sunday morning, well, do, do I feel like going to church today? But, but you see, that, that shouldn't be an option to us as God's children. This is the Lord's day. 
God has given us this day to glorify him, to honor him, to worship him. We're to do that every day, but this day in particular. And, and he's empowered us to behave in such a way. So we don't, we don't think about it. We, just, we detach our affections from the world and we uh, attach our affections to God the Father. November, uh, September 13th, 1980. I detached my affections from all the women in this world and attached my affections to Patsy Ann Louvier. And we were married. And from that day forward, my affections belong to her, not to anyone else. And on November 29, 1981, when the Lord quickened my dead soul and saved me, I detached my affections from this world and I attached them to him. I now belong to him. And he, in turn, has empowered me and enabled me to do so in my heart. There are so many, Christ- so many scriptures that come to mind when we consider this matter of sanctifying our hearts. Psalm 37 and verse 5, the psalmist writes, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Psalm 118 and verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So we can accomplish this task of sanctifying our hearts by setting all of our affections on God and his righteousness. This is living every moment in and for Christ. Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. (laughs) Living every moment, every moment of your life, Living it in and for Christ. On the job. At the grocery store. (laughs) In our homes. We are to give our life a sacrifice. A living sacrifice unto God. We allow Christ to live through us. We surrender our will to him. It's giving, it's giving your life. It's me giving my life. 
to the one who deserves everything I have. Paul said, all that I am, I am by the grace of God. And it is by his grace that I exist and that I live. So live this life. Live this life. Separate it. Detach it from the world. And attach it to the Father. This is the act of sanctification that you and I can do. God has already sanctified us in, in, in our souls. He, he's, he's cleansed us. He's, he's purified us. He's, he's made us holy. He's already done all of that. But when it comes to the heart, to your, to your human life, when it comes to that, you must make the choice. You must choose to live for the Father by detaching our affections from the world and attaching them to the Father himself. Luke chapter 17, verse 33, Jesus writes, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. We lose our life for his sake. In Matthew 16, again it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And in return, in return, he gives us an abundant life. Now, now wait a minute. He didn't say a, a bed of roses. Life is tough. Christians are persecuted. Christian people die. They get in car wrecks. They develop horrible diseases. They get robbed. They get, they get mugged. They get murdered. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say in exchange for losing my life for his sake that, that he would give me peace, joy, and happiness all my life. My human life. But he did promise us an abundant life. In John chapter 10, we read, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The abundant life. The the life of happiness and joy, the peace that only God can give. That's the life he's, he's, he's promised us. And that life is more fulfilling than any life the world can give you. What did Solomon say in Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There was no man greater than Solomon. No man richer than Solomon. No man with greater wisdom than Solomon. And he spent his life amassing all these pleasures of the world. And at the end, what did he say? It's all vanity. It's all for nothing. What did he say? He said, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. All right, folks. Thanks for being here today. I hope this was helpful to you and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org